Contending for the gospel, protecting orthodoxy, and promoting unity is Doctrine and Devotion's first annual West Coast Conference. It's going down Saturday, September 28th in Rancho Santa Margarita, California. Stay tuned for more details. Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast exploring Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And I'm Jimmy Fowler, executive pastor at Redeemer Fellowship. We get to hang out. There we are. I like it. It's good. When this releases, we're not hanging out. No, no. You're away on vacation. I will be on vacation. And I'll be by myself. Yeah. All alone. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it goes. Yeah, I know. It's his life. Yeah, and it's, and it's bitter, and it's not sweet. So, uh, yeah. It's sweet for me. I'm going to be... Yeah, really... you'll be in vacation. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be fun for you. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, but I'm going to be here with Steve McCoy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no, Steve's coming. Oh, really? Are you taking Steve? And Molly, yeah. Jeez. I don't get to go anywhere. What? <laughs> We're all going to go away. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah must taking be Taking nice. all your friends. Must be nice. <laughs> all my friend. Oh, all your friend. <laughs> <laughs> my dad used to say that when I was a kid. We would be out at a restaurant somewhere, and uh, I was, I don't know, 10 years old. And he'd be like, hey, dad, can I have a quarter to make a phone call? Call my friend. And he would reach into his pocket and take out two quarters and lay them on the table and go, call all your friends. <laughs> Thanks, dad. Yeah, that's so Thanks, awesome. Thanks, dad. Yeah, it's awesome. That's why I've got issues. No, that's uh, why you've got yeah, issues. My dad was hard on me, man. Oh, oh that was rough. <laughs> you were not hard on me. That was rough living right there. He was teasing me. He was teasing me. I'm delicate. no rules. I did not have you rules. No that is true. Rules. You had to yeah. roam the land. I did. I did. That uh, that had its own consequences. <laughs> so um, so you're getting ready. Your you're guy's going to be taking off. Are you taking off? Uh, we're recording this uh, on a Wednesday. On a Wednesday. Are you leaving Sunday or Saturday? Saturday. All right. So, um, are you packed up or are you just, oh no, you just announced. Yeah. You just, you just bought the tickets today. Yeah. yeah. All right. All I haven't right. even been home, man. I'm glad we get to hang out. And I like it when we get, to, when we have to record a, a few of these, cause we have more time to hang. Yeah. Instead of just the, uh, I gotta go. Yeah. We got time to go. Yeah, Cause you know, we're busy. We got things going on, but today worked out well. And, uh, yeah, you know, because, and that's, I know we, we hear from a lot of people who listen to the podcast, who enjoy the podcast. And one of the consistent things that we hear is that people, Tune in. They subscribe and listen, not just because we're talking theology and Bible. Uh, there's a lot of teaching. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of podcast sermons out there that you can get that in. Yeah, a lot better ones. But, but they tune in because this is uh, two friends hanging out. It is, um, you know, it is like it's basically us exploring theology in the context of friendship and fun. And, uh, and people like that. They feel like that we, they say all the time, Hey, we feel like we're in the room with you guys. We really like this. And you know, that's a big part of why I think people come to the conferences when we put them on, because it's, Ooh, it's and we've got one in, we, we got one in Rancho Santa Margarita. And that's coming up. It's, it's over a month away, but it's really coming up fast. Yeah. So we want you guys to, if you're in California, man, make it over to that. It's going to be great. And it's not like, oh, they want to come and see uh, the Jofo. I mean, that might be a small part of it, but it is because we create these environments and where people get to hang out, have fellowship and and have fun and enjoy theology in the context of friendship and humor. So yeah, it's going to be good, man. I'm looking forward to that. And today we're back in the 1689. We're talking about uh, the law of God, right? Out yep. of uh, chapter 19. And now we are in paragraph three. And we've been sort of teasing this that, you know, we would, when we, when we start getting into these other paragraphs, we're going to start talking about um, the, 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 trifold nature of the law, right? Mm -hmm. The different kinds of law that God gives in the Old Testament or in the Old Covenant. And we'll talk about the three uses of the law again. We'll get into all of that. 
And so to get started, Jimmy, do you want to read paragraph three for us? Sure. Uh, 1689, chapter 19, paragraph three. Besides this law, commonly called moral, God was pleased to give to the people of Israel ceremonial laws containing several typical ordinances, partly of worship, prefiguring Christ, his graces, actions, sufferings, and benefits, and partly holding forth diverse instructions of moral duties, all which ceremonial laws being appointed only to the time of reformation are, by Jesus Christ, the true Messiah and only lawgiver, who was furnished with power from the Father for that end, abrogated and taken away. So one of the things that we see in the 1689, uh, when you get into chapter 19, is that they maintain this uh, trifold nature or distinction of the laws that God gave Israel, Mm -hmm. that there were moral laws, ceremonial laws, and civil laws. And uh, this isn't something that they created. Um, These are things that were commonly called like the, the, the Ten Commandments were commonly called the moral law, which we've talked about. Um, then there were also ceremonial laws and then civil laws. And so this doesn't just go back to the Puritans, doesn't just go back to Calvin. It goes all the way back to the early church. Um, and, and a lot of people argue that, you know, the, 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 the basic idea of this is even in scripture. So when you're, when you're, when you're looking at scripture and you begin to see that, that even, even Israel understood that of all the 600 and plus laws that God gave Israel, there were different kinds that had different functions and there was a hierarchy of them. And so like, for example, uh, I know one of the passages that people will point to is Deuteronomy chapter four, verses 13 through 14, which says, and he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the 10 commandments. There we go. The big 10 right there. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. This was different from all the other laws. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you the statutes and rules that you might do them in the land you are going over to possess. So you got the 10 mm-hmm. separated out and distinct. You can attach a name to that, whatever you want. But then there are also these statutes and rules that were somewhat different that were meant to be carried out in the land when Israel was a theocracy uh, governed by God as a nation. And then Deuteronomy 5.31 but you stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. So there it is again. And actually, like this, uh, this way of talking about the law repeats itself throughout Deuteronomy. And 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 listen, we're not going deep into an argument for the threefold division of the law. Okay, like uh, we we are convinced of this. We think it is biblical. Um, There's a lot of other people that have uh, written extensively on it and they're a lot smarter than us. Yeah. So Richard or, Barcelos. <laughs> Barky. Yeah. We like him. Uh, also Philip Ross, man, the book that you want to get, it's a, it's a big book. Uh, Philip Ross from the finger of God, the biblical and theological basis for the threefold division of the law. It's a very good book. Even if you don't like this view, you should read this book. So you know what we actually think instead of, you know, beating up straw men that, uh, that we don't actually, hold to. Mm-hmm. So so check out that book. We'll link that in the uh, in the show notes, but just know this that uh, throughout the history of the church, Christians have understood that the law in the Old Testament was generally conceived of as falling into three basic categories: moral, civil, and ceremonial. Moral meaning the 10 commandments, civil those laws that governed Israel in their specific day-to-day activities. Um, think of like retributive justice principles and law case law things like that, and then ceremonial laws which governed Israel worship most simply. Now, even in the confession here, 
there is an admittance that these categories are not so neat and clean and super tight that it's easy peasy lemon squeezy. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, it says that uh, besides this law, talking about the Ten Commandments, which we've already covered, commonly called moral, God was pleased to give to the people of Israel ceremonial laws containing several typical ordinances. Now, here they are. Partly of worship, right? And then later on, partly holding forth diverse instructions of moral duties. So it's it, it's not like the, the scripture has broken it down for us into these three neat containers, yeah. but we see this general threefold division in the law. And so today we thought we would talk about the ceremonial laws, like that's what that's what's mentioned here, um, and how they point us to Jesus and how they pointed Israel to Jesus. And we're going to take a, a close look at the tabernacle uh, and what was commanded to be done there in particular. And so when we talk about the ceremonial laws, I mean, as you said, it, it guided Israel in worship. Right. But really important here is that it, it prefigured Jesus. It was a, right. it was like a shadow. Right. Right. Uh, of, of what of who we are to worship that will come. So what are some of those things, Jimmy? Like when people think ceremonial laws, what are some of the basic things that uh, that should be coming to mind? Well, I mean, first and foremost, the, the, the tabernacle. Right. right. The place of worship. Uh, priests. Mm -hmm. uh, the sacrifices right, that were right, given right. within uh, uh, the temple and, and so much more. All that was preparing God's people uh, for our Savior, his son. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so let, let's just talk a little bit about the tabernacle. So what we want to do is we basically want to, want to tease this out for you guys so that as you're looking back throughout the Old Testament and, and you're seeing some of the things that were happening or you're reading the laws, you can begin to see how these things foreshadowed Christ. So regarding the the, the tabernacle, uh, Vern uh, Poithras says this. All right, it's just a couple paragraphs, so just kind of hang in right, with go me. Go for it. The earthly tabernacle, and if you don't know what the tabernacle is, right, in case you're relatively new to all of this, uh, when yeah, is and for Steve McCoy, and awesome, definitely, yeah, so we make Steve, sure Steve knows. Steve, listen up. So, so Steve, when when Israel was delivered from Egypt, right, they were enslaved there uh, for 400 years, and when they were taken out by the mighty hand of God through Moses, they were brought into the wilderness, and they were given these laws and these instructions, and part of the instructions were to uh, put together to create this beautiful tabernacle, which essentially was composed of an outer courtyard that was surrounded by a fence. And then uh, in the in the in the courtyard, then is uh, another tent that is closed off only for the priests to go in. And so this was like the center of worship. This was a big part of their mm -hmm. life. Even as they were a nomadic people for 40 years in the wilderness, this was what they had. Yeah. This and, was and, really and then important. even within that, that tent where only the priests can go, right. there's another most holy place right, where the right. high priest could once a year. So think about it like this. There's this great big courtyard, right? And so you, you walk in through the front of it, and when you walk in, right in front of you or relatively in front of you, the first thing that you're going to see is the bronze altar. Now, this is where animal sacrifices were going to be made. And so there would be a priest there helping people with their sacrifices. And then if you were to walk around that and you would keep going towards that tent, right, the holy place and the most holy place, there would then be this laver where uh, there were uh, cleansing rituals with water for the priests. And then they get to that holy place, Jimmy, when they walk in there, uh, and we didn't get to go in there, the priests would go in there on our mm -hmm. behalf. When they walk into that first section of that tent, what were some of the things that they would see in there? Yeah, I mean, first you'd, you'd see uh, the lampstand, mm -hmm. right? You have the lampstand, you'd you'd have the table, and then the altar of incense. And there'd be that big curtain, yep. that big blue curtain, and then through that curtain is the most holy place, the holy of holies. Where the ark 
Resided. Yeah, yeah, right. Noah's Ark. Yeah, it was a yeah, huge stop. room. It was a giant room. No, the Ark of the Covenant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where the presence of God was said to dwell. And oh, the high priest once a year would go in there and sprinkle blood on the Ark uh, and all of that. So let's just kind of walk through this yeah. a little bit. Well, here, what does Vern say about the tabernacle? Oh, I didn't read the quote, did no, I? No, no. All right. So here's what he says. The earthly tabernacle was a copy or a shadow of the true dwelling place of God in heaven. It showed what God was like and what was needed to deal with sin. In this way, it symbolized what the Messiah was to do for our salvation. We may say that it foreshadowed the Messiah and his work. It was like a shadow of the Messiah cast backwards in time into the Old Testament period. The shadow was always inferior to the reality. The earthly tabernacle was made of earthly things and could never equal the splendor or holiness of God in heaven. The earthly sacrifices of bulls and goats could never equal the blood of Christ, who cleansed us from sin forever. The shadow was not itself the reality, but a pointer to Christ, who was the reality. Yet, the shadow was also like the reality. And the shadow even brought the reality to bear on the people in the Old Testament. As they looked ahead through the shadows, longing for something better, they took hold of the promises of God that he would send the Messiah. The promises were given not only verbally, but symbolically, though the very organization of the tab- through the very organization and of the tabernacle and its sacrifices. Mm-hmm. In pictorial form, God was saying, as it were, look at my provisions for you. This is how I redeem you and bring you to my presence. But look again, and you will see that it is all an earthly symbol of something better. Do not rely on it as if it were the end. Trust me to save you fully when I fully accomplish my plans. Now that's from the shadow of Christ in the law of Moses. So we encourage you guys to to check that book out. Yeah. But let, let's kind of do what he's saying here, Jimmy. Let's say people, people walk in and mm-hmm. there's that bronze altar. Yeah. What's going on? Well, I mean... Uh, like you mentioned before, like the sacrifice is ne- is necessary, right? And so there at the bronze altar, the sacrifice would be received, it would be given, and because without it, for there is no forgiveness of sins. And so as we look at that, it's a shadow to come. We we look at it, we say, you know what? Jesus is our sacrifice. Right. Jesus is the only one uh, that his his blood uh, can wash away our sins. And you know we. We're not going to scripture bomb you with all of this stuff, but read Hebrews, right? Hebrews is probably the best place to go, the book yeah. of Hebrews, to show how all of these these types and these shadows were pointing to Jesus. So the priest would be there, like sacrificing the lamb, prefiguring Christ, but then the priest could go to the laver, right? Yeah. After the blood was shed, the, the priest had to be ceremonially cleansed so that they could serve God in holiness. And in that way, he... um he represents his the people. He represents Israel, re- represents the people of God. But that cleansing with water, right? The laver was foreshadowing our need for cleansing, the cleansing that we have through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, uh, through the word of God. Uh, in fact, uh, a lot of people would point out like, well, also this, this might have an allusion to baptism as well, mm-hmm. right? Not that, not that the, the, the act of being dunked in water cleanses you, but that it is a picture of our cleansing in Jesus Christ. And so the, again, the priest using the laver for cleansing is pointing to what Jesus would ultimately do uh, for all of us, that he would cleanse us. And so then, you know, the sacrifice has been made, there's been that ceremonial washing, and then there's that, that holy place. You can mm. come inside 
the holy place, which September 28th, it's going to be at the Bridge Church, or not the Bridge, yeah, the Bridge Church right. in uh, Rancho Santa Margarita. Yeah, that's uh, that's the holy place. That's the that's the that, that's not the most holy place, but it is the holy it place. It is the holy place because the Jofo is going to be there. That's September right. September 28th and all and all of our great listeners are going to be there. You don't need uh you don't need any priest to be in our presence. So, like you can just come. You come as you are. Yeah, that's right. Right. So you just I mean I'm I'm looking forward to it, man. It's going to be so great. It's going to be so great. We're going to be uh talking about uh, contending for the gospel, right? Mm. And it's going to be great. We're going to be uh, focusing on... What are you doing? Nothing. Go ahead. <laughs> protecting... <laughs> what are you doing? Nothing. Go. You said talking Okay. Protecting orthodoxy mm. and promoting unity. And so, uh, big thanks to Logos. Logos Bible mm. Software is is sponsoring their event. They're putting this on. California. Uh, they're going to have some great... What are you doing? <laughs> they're gonna, yeah. They're going to have some great deals for our listeners. They love the D&D listeners. And so, head on over to DrVotion.com dot com slash west and register now best one day conference in the world yep. of 2019 and if you're available friday night for those that are, for those that are registered we're gonna uh send you the invite the yeah. invite for the hangout uh we've already got some things planned uh chris pobletti mm-hmm. is already setting up mom spaghetti never forget chris pobletti yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's already setting everything up for a great night of hanging out in fellowship oh i can't wait it could be a dunk tank there's no, going to no. be a pie eating contest. No, it's going to be none of that. There's going to be none of that. All right. So, so, so here's the thing, Jimmy. You're, you're about to, you're, you're just starting to say they're, they're going into the, this holy place and you know, it's a, it's a tent without windows, right? Yeah. It, like you would think it's going to be dark in there. Like it, it, it would be kind of musty in there, yeah. but, but it's not. When it's they not walk because in. There's, there's that lampstand as you walk in and it's always burning. It's always giving light. And it's to signify how Jesus is the light of the world. Right. Right, so the his you know, flame will will never extinguish. So you you know you you, you have this light with like twelve candles, you know, twelve tribes of mm-hmm. Israel, and all of that, and a light of the world. And so, yeah, Jesus is that that light. What is that? Is what? that still playing? There we no, go. There you go. Yeah, we're still playing Hotel California. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So that, what about on the table there, right? We mentioned that there's there's this golden table. Yeah. And what's there? Yeah. Well, they have the show bread, right? It's um, there were these uh, you know, twelve uh, loaves of, of bread that were constantly there. Uh, there was a, a a cup of wine there, and you know, again, when, when the, you know, the priest is in there and and you see the show bread, you know, one of the things that we understand is well. There, there, there may be here an allusion to the Lord's Supper here, maybe you know, pointing mm-hmm. us towards that because you got bread and wine, and you know, Jesus Himself saying, "I am the bread of life." You yeah. know, you, you've heard of the manna that came from heaven. That's me. So that's me. The temple is me. I mean, Jesus makes this point about Himself quite a bit, and sometimes He's very explicit. I am the temple. Destroy this temple, and I'll raise it up in yep. three days. So Jesus, you know, is constantly making these assertions about Himself. The showbread represents Christ. It is. You know, he is the one who has come down from heaven to sustain us all. And then when you were to look forward from there, so like you go to one side, you've got that lampstand, yep. gold gleaming. You look to the other golden table. It sounded a little bit like Trump's bathroom, honestly, with all the gold in there. But anyways, you look at you got the gold the table. The place is Trump Tower. You know, I'm just saying like, you know, there's a lot of gold, a lot of gold. And then you look you look forward, right, yep. to the most holy place where there's a curtain yep. in front of that. In front of that, you got that, that altar of incense. And this is my favorite, you know, because in, incense was a symbol of intercession accessory prayer mm-hmm. that ascends up to God, which is why we smoke cigars. Mm-hmm. That, that, that there is our incense and our, you know, symbolically our prayers going, going right. up to God. So to not smoke, ah, are you really praying? 
Yeah. If you ain't smoking, you know you're choking. Wait, what? No, yeah. it's, no yeah. you choke from the smoke. No, 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 no. You're choking on prayer. You're not, you're choking. You're not praying. Like, you know, that was good. Back so, me up. Have my back. <laughs> so when we're talking about this shadow, this foreshadow, you know, that Christ as our high priest lives to make intercession for us. And as you said, I mean, throughout Hebrews, it talks about that as, as Jesus is our high priest interceding right now on our behalf. Love it. He's the perfect priest, the perfect high priest. We don't need anybody else. Christ is everything. All right. So the priest could then go past that and through these curtains. Well, no, well, well, one priest could. Yeah. 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 Well, you said like the priest, like like all of them. No, no. No, I didn't say we're all collectively do it. I said the priests, one at a time. The the whole, the high priest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, One at at a time. Because there was more than one. Yeah. Yeah. One high priest. They would go in and then they would like, boom, do the thing. And then, but you know, each year, different priests, Mm -hmm. the whole thing, priests, plural. That's what I was going for. (laughs) So (laughs) good, good cover. Good cover. So this veil, there's this this, this thick blue veil uh, that had like cherubim on it and all Mm -hmm. these angels and stuff. So cherubim for Steve McCoy. Oh, it's a naked baby angel. Okay, there you go, Steve. Uh, something like that. Uh, angelic depictions. So uh, the high priest once a year would come into the Holy of Holies and there he would uh, sprinkle blood that had come from the bronze altar onto the Ark of the Covenant. And this was to depict the satisfaction of God's wrath against our sins and against our unrighteousness. And by the way, I like to make this point from time to time. Mm. When the sacrifices were made, uh, these these symbolic uh, depictions of 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 salvation, right? Of atonement. Uh, for whom were those sacrifices made, Jimmy? They were made for Israel. They were made for the people of God. They were not made for the Gentiles. They were not made for the other nations. They were made for the people of God, just like Christ's sacrifice was made for the people of God. Mm. Limited in its intent. All righty. Um, Do you feel good for that public I service? Just like, you know what? Uh, the more you know. <laughs> the more you know. So... When, G- when Jesus died on the cross, uh, what we read is that the veil was torn from the yep. bottom to the top, uh, and d- demonstrating like, wow, the entrance into the Holy of Holies is now open to everyone in Jesus Christ. But just listen to this. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14 and verses 19 through 22 to give you right, uh, a set. I'll read that first paragraph, right. Jimmy. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high, we, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, the ceremonial laws gave Israel a picture for how to be reconciled to God and how to have intimacy with God, how we can get close. And it pointed to Christ. In Christ, we have all of this and it is real. We are we we are not merely looking at symbols and waiting for, you know, the substance to arrive. We have Christ. And this should be great confidence for us. This should be a great comfort for us. That because of everything that Jesus has done in fulfilling the law and being the fulfillment of these ceremonial laws, we can know our God. So all of this is is helping us to understand the law of God and what its 
function was and how it worked. So at this point, what we're saying is God gave law to Israel. He gave 10 commandments. Mm-hmm. And uh, these represented a, 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 an unchanging law, right? Perpetual in its very nature, written by the finger of God into tablets of stone. But then there were other laws written down by, uh, by the hand of Moses as, as dictated to him by God. And these are when we're talking about the, the statutes and the rules, the ceremonial laws and the civil laws and the various ways in which there's some overlap in all of this. But understanding the law of God and uh, in the in the life of Israel helps us to understand the law of God today. So next time we're going to be looking at the the civil laws, and we may not get to it this next coming Monday, but because uh, Jimmy's going to be gone, but we will be getting to it very soon when he gets back. But it in, unless you can understand the threefold division of the law. Uh, it gets pretty difficult to make sense of some of the commands and some of the requirements that got placed on Israel without drawing the line that, well, we should be doing all these same things right now, mm-hmm. right? So that's where we're going with this, giving you guys a, a sort of a, a tease and a picture. What we want you to do is, for really to get educated here is pick up From the Finger of God by Philip Ross. That's the book that you need. That's the book that you want. And if you don't want it, you just, you're wrong. Uh, you, you you don't know that you want it. You, you Your inner being wants it. The spirit you know, the, mm. but the flesh is weak, the spirit's mm. willing. So just go ahead and get that book. That's going to be a really big help for you. And then, uh, yeah, and listen, all you, uh, all you people out there, you know, you, you new covenant theologians. Yeah. Hey, we, we love you. We appreciate you. Uh, hey, keep it to yourself. <laughs> well, we'd love to hear your thoughts, except for uh, New Covenant Theologians. Yeah. You can follow Joel us online. Case. <laughs> yeah, quit tagging us, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> we're not playing. Yeah, we're not playing your game. Uh, fresh. Po- wait, wait, where am I at? Uh, love to hear your thoughts. Uh, you can follow where us online on Instagram and Twitter at Doc and on, on Facebook slash Doctrine and Devotion. You can head on the website, DoctrineDevotion.com. There you can contact us. You can sign up for the email blast or hit up the store, JoeFoStore.com, and grab some gear. Uh, September 28th is just around the corner. You're going to want to register for the first annual Doctrine Devotion Conference mm. uh, on the West Coast. California. California. DoctrineDevotion.com slash West. Fresh Pot every Monday and Thursday blog posts on Wednesdays. Later. Later.